The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702. Let's walk the talk on 92.7 and 106 FM. The Money Show is brought to you by the APSA Africa Financial Markets Index, cultivating growth by providing a clearer understanding of the African markets. APSA is a registered FSP. Good evening and welcome to The Money Show this evening. It's wonderful to be in your company. You'll pick up a particular theme this evening. I can't figure out what the theme is going to be. We haven't decided yet, but there will be a theme, an underlying theme. That underlying theme will be carried through to the Brutal Biz Quiz later on, the Brutal Biz Quiz. Um, Some of the answers to tonight's Brutal Biz Quiz will be in included in the content of the show this evening. So listen closely and you'll be better armed um, to uh, participate in the Biz Quiz tonight at about 10 to 7. We're going to be talking our Friday file. We've got the best bits all lined up uh, and we've got some other stories as well. Welcome to The Money Show. The Money Show. With Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. Can South Africa get the Taylor Swift effect going into the economy if we win the World Cup? On Saturday night, 24 hours from now, uh, I think we'll be unplayable as a nation. Certainly today, wherever I was going, just the chias was good. Everyone's wearing green and gold and those who aren't are envious and are flicking through racks in shops and desperately trying to find things that fit from the stock that remains and squeezing themselves into things that they shouldn't be squeezing themselves into. But nobody's going to mind if you look a bit like a sausage because you're just wearing the green and gold. It's fabulous. Well, quick feedback for you before we get into the meat and potatoes of tonight's show. Uh, Consumer Ninja Wendy Nola was with us, as she always is on a Wednesday night. She really is remarkable and ferocious. There are two or three people you don't want to get a call from in South Africa. You don't want to get a call from Debbie. She's lovely. But you don't want to get a call from Debbie because when Debbie's cross, she's very, very cross. Uh, you don't want to get a call from Edward Kisveta, I don't think, because it's not about a refund. Um, and uh, certainly you don't want to get a call from Wendy Nola because that's never going to be, you're never going to be in the right when Wendy phones you saying, hi, I've just got a question. Uh, so you don't want the call from Wendy. Wendy this week was chatting to AIG South Africa, at least trying to chat to AIG South Africa because she got whiff of the fact that AIG, this big American insurance company, had decided to dump its funeral policy clients in the dwang, telling them that there'd be no cover for them from the end of January. Now, that's fine. It's their prerogative to do so. But here's the problem with that. Wendy also then discovered that most funeral policy insurance, funeral insurance, has a six-month waiting period. So if your insurer tells you today that you'll only be covered to the end of January, you've got November, December, three months. So you'd have to take out a second insurance policy today and be paying for two insurance policies up until the end of January and then you would have a, a gap in your cover. And that would be disastrous if somebody in your family died. You've been paying these insurance premiums for years and years and years, hoping that you don't need to claim on the blooming thing. But funerals, we understand in South Africa, very expensive. And of course, um, uh, we have far too many funerals too for so many reasons. But it's, it's a mess. They left their clients high and dry, unfortunately. But a bit of feedback this evening from Wendy Nola. I asked her to just drop us a quick voice note on a bit of a breakthrough. About the discussion Bruce and I had on Wednesday evening about ARG's decision to drop its funeral policy business from the end of January, giving its existing policyholders little more than three months to get alternative cover. 
Apart from the fact that policyholders, particularly those older than 64, would battle to get similar cover for the same monthly premium, most insurers apply a six-month waiting period to funeral policies, meaning that those affected got the news too late to avoid a gap in their cover. Listening to that discussion were clientele execs. We agree with your sentiments and sympathize with those clients, said Group Comms and Marketing Manager Carmen Steinberg. So we are offering them the same cover for the same price with no new waiting periods. Good one, clientele. Uh, Wendy, no, it doesn't say good one to many people. So, um, I, And I see it as marvelously strategic and opportunistic of clientele. Um, see the gap, do the good thing, be, be the good guys in this particular debate. I did double check, however. Yes, and clientele do normally have a six-month waiting period. So I was saying, hold on a second. Are they just being fast and loose here? But no, they do normally have a six-month waiting period. Um, and But what they're going to get out of this is a, is a book of customers who were with a rival who will now come over to them, no doubt. Well done, Wendy Nola, our consumer ninja on a Wednesday night. You're with Bruce Whitfield on 702. 702. Mabazi Mana. It's a theme, it's a theme, it's a theme. We've got three wins each under our belts. Tomorrow's Rugby World Cup is almost here. Of course, Sia Kulisi acknowledging today the magnitude of the moment. And it's going to be a phenomenal clash. I've been hearing a couple of naysayers in the building today saying, oh, we're not playing as a team. Too reliant on the individuals. Oh, no. We've gone all Eeyore in this particular case. There have been nine World Cups in total since the the competition was instituted. New Zealand and South Africa have got three wins each, meaning they've taken, what, two-thirds of the tournament since its inception. One of the New Zealand victories, of course, was when South Africa was in isolation. So essentially, we've got one more than them since we joined in 1995. The box have had to fight really, really hard to get here, of course. Remember, Rassi at the last World Cup was asked about pressure in the final in Japan. And he said something like, rugby shouldn't be pressure. In South Africa, pressure is not being able to get a job. Does a World Cup win hold any economic value whatsoever. Certainly, it didn't hurt the new South Africa project in 1995. South Africa got its investment grade back. It was going to get that anyway. Uh, It saw unbroken growth for about 14 years up until the global financial crisis. Mostly, we saw lower interest rates. Mostly, there was annual job creation. And it went beyond until we won again in 2007. Of course, then a year later, we had the global financial crisis and the disastrous Zuma era took us to a point of Ramaphoria. And by the time we got to 2019, we needed another uplift. We got that in Japan and then it frittered out like water in the desert sands. And there's been zero improvement in the economy since then. Instead, COVID, poor policy response, sees South Africa facing multiple crises all at the same time. Dr. Adrian Saville is investment specialist at Genera Capital, professor of economics at Gibbs. And I wonder, Adrian, if we could invoke a bit of Taylor Swift here. Her era's tour has been this American phenomenon through the summer and is credited with at least some uptick in U.S. economic growth. And uh, and she's brought a lot of you know, feel-good factor into the U.S. economy. Could we, in some way, get a little bit of the Taylor Swift effect coming through from a Springbok victory, should it happen, as it should, uh, tomorrow night in Paris? Uh, evening, Bruce, in a word, yes. Um, and... You've 
touched on both uh, both aspects. The one is the economic uh, effects, which are uh, the spending that comes about, uh, and whether that's spending on uh, garb and paraphernalia or spending at uh, uh, at a restaurant or uh, at a fan park, uh, that's a very direct effect um, of the activity. If South Africa went in the final, you would not uh, be seeing this type of uh, excitement around Saturday evening. And the second, which you've also touched on, is uh, a sense of uh, civic pride and social cohesion um, that comes about with this. And you just have to you know, look around the uh, the streets of the uh, and cities of the country today to see, you know, the sense of cohesion and pride that comes about. So there's both, you know, tangible economic and intangible uh, social events, uh, uh, social effects. And there's a whole, you know, this is, there's a whole industry uh, dedicated to trying to estimate uh, the impacts of uh, sporting events on economies and other events like uh, like music, the Taylor Swift effect. Yeah, absolutely. The difference between the Taylor Swift effect, of course, and this Rugby World Cup is Taylor Swift is gigging in America and she's going from Super Bowl to Super Bowl to Super Bowl to Super Bowl to Super Bowl and she's generating all the hype and the excitement and the enthusiasm within the US economy. This is all economic activity that's happening outside of South Africa. Sure, if you're making T-shirts mm. at the moment, you, you're coining it. If you're selling beer by, by the pint, you're making big bucks. If you're selling Biltong at the moment, you're coining it. Brilliant. But those are quite small in the bigger scheme of things, in a two trillion rand economy, this is a, a bit of a blip rather than necessarily a continuous regular occurrence over a period of six months like a Taylor Swift concert might be. Uh, I would agree with that. And if you think of uh, the potential impacts of sporting events, I think there's you know, two really important aspects that you need to underline before you think about calibrating or you know trying to measure, estimate the size of the impacts. The first is, um, is the event generalist or specialist? Uh, and the second is, is the event here or there? <laughs> and you know, as you're pointing out, uh, you know, the, the event is taking place in other parts of the world. So there are certainly uh, spillover effects uh, through the activity, the hype that happens uh, around uh, each of these uh, events. But the, the impact is significantly lower than if the event were here. The second, and then this is more of a, a generic observation, is not all sporting events have the same or equivalent impact. Broadly speaking, generalist events like the Olympics tend to have far more muted uh, effects and more often they're not build white elephants. Whereas specialist events like uh, World Cup cricket, uh, um, Tour de France or uh, World Cup rugby, those specialist events tend to have far more, uh, they're they're more localized, but the economic impacts are much higher. Uh, Here's the thing. Let's uh, make a big assumption. Uh, we win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we win on Saturday <laughs> night. Um, and, and, and no, no, it's a lovely assumption. I like this assumption. I'm with you. Uh, we, do, we do it by more than one point. We break. Yeah. <laughs> we, we break. Tradition. We break the habit. We break our habit. We do it by by, by at least two points. And we're, we're <laughs> and next week the country is awash with joy and ticket tape parades yeah. and open top buses and waving the William Webb Ellis Trophy above Sia's head and everyone mm-hmm. feels fabulous and people are hugging themselves in the street. 
but we haven't created a job. We haven't. Yeah, yeah. We haven't. We haven't redefined the shape of the economy in a mm. way that really benefits people. And I just wish that we could take the sense of goodwill and the sense of cohesion and the sense of actually we are. Again, I hate to use payoff lines that other people have created, but we are stronger together. And we we kind of very quickly that goodwill sort of drains away, and we go back to our old bad habits, unfortunately, far too quickly. And that's what worries me about this. Yeah, um, that it's euphoric. It's that new car smell uh, where, <laughs> you know, you have the wonderful feeling of sitting in the new car for, uh, you know, however long. And then it's a case of this too shall pass. And we stuck uh, in the circumstance that we found ourselves. So, you know, that's where I'd really underline these things like, you know, a sense of pride and even more importantly, the sense of cohesion. And in your intro, you pointed to this, the, the spillover and the multiplier effects that happened with the infrastructure build ahead of us uh, hosting the Football World Cup in 2010. And, you know, make no mistake, those spillover and multiplier effects are significant because you're spending on infrastructure and the infrastructure isn't uh, dedicated or devoted just to uh, the the stadium, but it's actually broadly applicable. The, ho- the, 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 the hotels, the airports, the highways that were built in anticipation or in preparation for that event. Having said that, um, you know, we can point to Greenpoint Point Stadium and say, you know, that was a misallocation. But broadly speaking, the, the economic multiplier effects of this type of spend is about one and a half to two times, which is significant. And then on the specific event, the actual football or rugby uh, uh, um, uh, game, those multipliers are even higher. And the ability to absorb jobs into those types of activities is equally high because it's relatively low barriers to entry. So there really is an opportunity for economies that can host events to, you know, to grab uh, onto these and stimulate the economy. That requires much more than the next week in uh, thinking. Uh, absolutely. Professor Adrian Saville, thank you. The investment specialist at Genera Capital and professor of economics at Gibbs. Uh, thank you. Yeah, there's a, there's a feel-good effect. I mean, certainly Taylor Swift has benefited hugely from her talent. Uh, today, Bloomberg Billionaires Index saying she is a dollar billionaire worth $1.1 billion thanks to her record-breaking era's tour. It also helped boost the U.S. economy. Uh, Bloomberg says Taylor Swift is one of the few entertainers to reach the status based just on her music and performance. She's not just a performer. She's an economic phenomenon. If only we could turn rugby into an economic phenomenon. Certainly for the people involved in the rugby, they get a foot up. Uh, and let's look into what the prize money is. I think that's an important thing to understand. Ngoile Ndlovu is Director in Sports Business Research at Cash and Sport. Uh, have we got a final number on, as to what the, the World Cup is worth for the players themselves, Ngoile? Bruce, good afternoon. Um, yeah, in terms of, um, of, of the Rugby World Cup itself, there isn't really a number that's allocated by World Rugby. Uh, but what we do know is that in 2019, the players shared somewhere in the region of 65 million rand um, uh, to, towards their, essentially, their bonuses and, uh, and so on and the like. Uh, but there isn't a, a bonus structure that's set aside by World Rugby. What World Rugby does is that the money that would have been a bonus structure for, for quarterfinalists, semifinalists, and so on and so on, they take that money and they spread it amongst the nations uh, equally over the four-year cycle between World Cups. 
because some nations just can't uh, afford to essentially fund themselves and uh, and fund their operations. Uh, so they they essentially give them a leg up by by taking that money and putting it putting it into a pot to be dispersed equally amongst the nations. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I see some numbers suggesting that there's $6 million worth of prize money for the winners, $3 million for the runners-up. Uh, the losing semifinalists get $1.5 million each. Um, there is some money in it. Um, and I suppose then it, it comes from the prestige that comes with being a World Cup winner, particularly if you're a Sia Kulisi and you happen to be captain of the teams that win both World Cups. I'm making huge assumptions here. I know this. Um, yeah. and, 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 it, and it benefits your sort of longer-term earnings. We we know that Sia will go and play club rugby in France after this Rugby World Cup and others will also get that sort of benefit. There should be the, the endorsements and all of those things that come with it. This is a substantial financial opportunity for the players, particularly if they're successful. It's a huge financial opportunity for the players. Um, Sia Colisi right now has signed uh, an agreement with Boss IST. Uh, if we're using him as a case study as an example, yeah. he signed an agreement with Boss IST where he will have uh, equity in the deal. Uh, because of his move to France, it also coincides with Boss IST's move into Europe and Absolutely. England. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, his foundation, the Sia Colisi Foundation, will also generate revenue from every sale of a can uh, that's made uh, during the during the term of the agreement. That's just one. Prior to the World Cup, he, he signed an, an agreement with, with Adidas to produce the Sia Colisi Limited boot, um, and so on and so on. All of these players will, will generate far more revenue from the World Cup, especially now with, with uh, South African rugby teams participating in the United Rugby Championship. Their exposure isn't just local, it's international. So their opportunities for, for, for making money are exploded essentially in the last two years and especially with this world cup the better they do uh, the better it will be for them financially speaking um, and if we look at just the cost uh, the, the the revenue element of the world cup itself in 1995 when we hosted the world cup the world cup generated only 30.3 million pounds in revenue when japan hosted in uh, in 2019 it was 4.3 billion Yo. In, for, in economic output from the World Cup. So it's, it's been a huge increase and the World Cup just ke- keeps on getting bigger and bigger. The question is, with so few nations actually playing rugby, how big can it get? And w- will it get to a point where, you know, th- it's going to reach a ceiling at some point and World Rugby needs to find a way to, to move it about even further? Mwile, thank you very much indeed. Mwile Ndovu, who is Director and Sports Business Researcher at Cash and Sports. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield is brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. APSA CIB proudly brings you the Africa Financial Markets Index. APSA is a registered FSP. The Money Show. The Markets. To Gary McNamara we go. Gary is a portfolio manager at Sunlum Private Wealth. And it looks like everybody missed the email that Red Row and Pex and Chevette are coming back and will be sold exclusively through pick and pay. Uh, I'm not too sure that that's going to be a game changer for Sean Summers and his team at pick and pay. But um, the pick and pay share price today was one of the very significant laggards in a very, very soggy, soft and uninspiring market. Yeah, Bruce, it's been a tough month, and today was no exception. Uh, it looked like it was trying to rally early, but it, it, it certainly started coming off later in the day. And then turning to pick and pay, it's just a business that seems to have lost its mojo. Uh, you know, 
personally to try and bring somebody back that's 70 years old, hasn't really been involved in the South African retail market for a long time, and I think shareholders are voting with their feet. So I think they've got a fair amount of problems going forward and up against some strong competition in ShopRite and that that's very well run. Yeah, so I think the share market's reflecting that. Yeah, down to 24 and 80. I think the last time we saw a share price in pick and pay this low um, was the last time we won the rugby, well no, the, the second time we won the Rugby World Cup. It's about a 2007 price tag. Well, hopefully that's a good omen for the rugby, Bruce, but I don't think it's a good omen for pick and pay. No. But we'll take the omen for the rugby tomorrow, yeah. I, I did pose this question on social media last week, and I did say um, a thousand rand in pick and pay for two years or a thousand rand at two to one for the box winning the World Cup. And 66% of people would took their chances on the Springboks winning the World Cup. That was before the England game. Um, and so, yeah, they're still, they're, they're still potentially in the money uh, in terms of that. Yeah, pick and pay, not not popular, um, but yeah, good luck to Sean Summers on that particular front. The tone of markets has turned quite dramatically negative, hasn't it? I mean, all share index closing below 70,000 this week, um, and there's very significant downward pressure almost everywhere you look. Yeah, Bruce, I think the world's got a bit of a challenge at the moment. You've got quite a lot of geopolitical risk, you know, first of all with Ukraine, Russia, and now Gaza and Israel. And it, what it does do is it stops global trade, and you've got this east-west divide. So that's pushing inflation higher. And I think we've talked about it for quite a long time now. The world actually needs lower interest rates, but the problem is you can't bring interest rates lower while you've got this stubborn inflation. And I think a lot of it's to do with geopolitical risk and global trade's becoming a problem. But the consumer is under pressure, and that's reflected in the market. So consumer stocks are battling, interest rates are high. So it's, it's going to be a tough period over the next six months until we can find some resolution globally from a geopolitical point of view and, again, find a peak in interest rates. And, and that seems some way off at the moment from what we were potentially looking two, three months ago. Yeah, and still the world's talking, despite really good growth in the third quarter in the United States, the world is still looking for an American recession, almost wishing for an American recession, it would seem. It's managed, we've managed to stave it off so far, um, but there's this very clear belief that it's, you know, it's not going to, the good times aren't going to last too much longer. Well, America's really been the outlier. The rest of the world's battling. You look at the European numbers, our numbers, everybody's numbers are really battling. I think they've really supported post-COVID in terms of liquidity, so that's probably holding them up a little bit longer, but it, it, yeah, I think the world is hoping for a little bit of a quicker slowdown, certainly from a consumer point of view and that in America, so that we can get the speak in interest rates behind us, because globally, governments are battling with this high interest rate from a cost point of view, so your risk has moved from your private sector that probably had the, had the pressure on them in 2008 and previously this time, it looks like the governments are going to be under pressure from a, from a risk and a debt point of view. So the sooner America comes off a tire, I think the best uh, for the whole world uh, in terms of peaking in interest rates and potentially going forward. But it looks a lot more unlikely than it did two months ago, and, and that's why I think the market is a little bit lower over this month. And a little bit of a loss of confidence in the dollar as the week has drawn to a close gives us a little bit of respite on the currency front which is nice to see as we go to a medium-term budget policy statement next week i don't know if there are enough rabbits in the world for the finance minister to find one willing to be pulled out of a hat next week what do you think Bruce, I think it's massive for South Africa. I think we're going to have to hold the course. And, you know, the Reserve Bank and Treasury have been pretty much holding the course for four or five years, telling government they've got to cut costs, they've got to manage their budget. And now they're really between a rock and a hard place. 
The talk on the street is we're probably going to get a that increase in that, but politically it's probably not what nah. uh, the government wants to hear. So I think it's going to be massive come first of November, and if we don't do the right thing, I think you're going to be you're going to see it reflected in the rand where it's going to weaken quite a lot if, if we don't do the right thing. But uh, we're part of the global community, and I think we're in a tough space at the moment. Here's a question for you: Who was the youngest when they became a billionaire? Uh, Taylor Swift, Jeff Bezos. LeBron James or J.K. Rowling? Taylor Swift, darling. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've just seen the Yeah, she's 33 years old and a dollar billionaire today. That was your little, your intro to the Brutal Biz Quiz this evening, Gary McNamara. Thank you, Gary. Gary is a portfolio manager at Sunlum Private Wealth joining us on The Money Show this evening. Yeah, Taylor Swift at 33, named by Bloomberg today as a dollar billionaire. Jeff Bezos was 35. LeBron James at 37 and J.K. Rowling, same as Steve Ballmer, at the age of 38. Uh, Ralph Lauren, Warren Buffett, George Lucas, Jerry Jones, Michael Jordan, nearly Oprah Winfrey, all slackers, really. They had to wait till their 50s. Useless. Anyway, obviously a joke. The Money Show. The Friday File. The Friday File. We'll get to the Friday File in just a moment. I'm, I'm just taken aback by some calculations I've been doing while, of course, multitasking, listening to the lovely sports report and eyewitness news, which was exceptional this evening. Um, a sirloin steak. What's the most you've ever paid for a sirloin steak? Gone to a restaurant and you thought, tonight I feel hungry and I want 400 grams of sirloin steak. What's a reasonable price for 400 grams of sirloin steak? I think you could go, you pay three, 400 bucks for a sirloin steak. I mean, that's a lot of money, right? Be delicious because you go to a, to a grill house or somewhere wonderful for that. Uh, if you go to a Japanese restaurant, now this Japanese restaurant is called Aragawa. It was founded in near Kobe in Japan, where the Kobe beef comes from, by Americans in 1956. And up until that point, Japanese people hadn't really beef wasn't really part of the culture. And certainly has become part of the culture. And basically, Kobe beef is sought after around the world. Now, Aragawa has just opened in London. And there, for a sirloin steak, 760 pounds. I don't know if the sides are extra. <laughs> but 760 pounds for a piece of meat. 17,500 rons South African, roughly, give or take, depending on the exchange rate moment by moment. But you go for lunch with four people and who you're trying to impress, it's going to cost you 70,000 bucks for four steaks. And then they've got a 1,000 bottles of wine there that specialize but only in French Grand Cru's and French Champagne's and French this and French that. That's going to cost you another couple of hundred pounds a bottle, probably. So you're going to get out of that. You're not going to emerge from that restaurant from a good lunch with four of you for less than 120,000 rand. Now, what kind of deal do you have to be doing to justify that sort of expense? What was the restaurant called? It's not got knocked down subsequently with the big chairs. There was a young man who liked to spend government money on dining at this restaurant many years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Can't remember his name now. Uh, but I think he's done quite well since then. Um, and yeah, we spend money on lavish lunches. You hope that the returns are good. Uh, maybe get a decent house out of it. I don't know. On the next money show, Zeus Zakele Tambe, the owner and the founder of Zeus Protection on how I make money. He's in VIP protection. I sat on a plane next to a young guy who did VIP protection, said it's the most boring job of his life. 
Got paid well for it, though. Never had to take a bullet for anybody else. Uh, we will also talk, uh, talk to Toby Shapshak with uh, technology, our business book feature. And then, of course, looking ahead to what's going to be a bumpy medium-term budget policy statement. Busy, busy week for South Africa as we go into November. Can't believe it already. 2023. The Money Show. The Friday File. The Friday File. Don't forget the Brutal Biz Quiz. I've already given away about four or five answers out of the Biz Quiz this evening. Very subtly done. You wouldn't know it. Uh, but it is a Springbok-themed Brutal Biz Quiz this Friday night. Tonight's Friday file is a young entrepreneur. It's a story about a young entrepreneur finding themselves and finding a vocation and finding themselves and doing a huge amount of real personal transformation to take control of their own lives. And it's a wonderful, empowering story by Quentin van Rensburg, who calls himself the Formulation Connoisseur and everything officer at Schwenate. It's a startup. It makes beautiful handmade soaps in the Karoo. Take me back, if you would, Quentin, to what is it, 2016? Your world isn't lacquer, I don't think, back then. And, and you sort of, I don't know, does somebody take you by the collar and shake you? Do you pick yourself up and shake yourself off? Well, what happens? Well, it's that, tale, that old tale story of a girlfriend breaking your heart and you're just reassessing your life and um i just i just felt bad about myself i i weighed 160 kilograms at that stage and i thought that's the reason why she left me and um i I know i just decided okay this i'm gonna lose the weight i'm gonna get her back and in all that time that had happened i sort of lost 60 kilograms and i realized Okay, it's not the girlfriend that I I'm, I'm missing. I was missing myself, and I just went for four years, five years. I just started experiencing new things, learning more about myself, and just trying to figure out where I fit um, in the world. Um, yeah, so it's basically a girl that broke my heart, and that's how. Schoonade, the story of Schoonade actually started. It's the ultimate upside of down story, it is, Quentin. It's like in, in every, whenever there's a cloud, there's a silver lining, and your silver lining became Squinate, which is this business which you've run out of the Karoo. But before you started Squinate, had you ever made a block of soap? I mean, hopefully you'd used one. Maybe that's why she left. Um, but, I'm actually a professional chef. Um, studied in Stellenbosch. Uh, I've been cooking for almost 22 years now. Um, I think the last 10 years or so, I sort of moved out of the kitchen, started working on game reserves, and then my position sort of turned into a household coordinator for the owners of the reserve that I worked in or worked on. Um, and we just had this crazy idea one day in a meeting, like we want to make our own products for the guests on the, on the reserve. Um, we had this big dream and big plan. Um, and then COVID happened and I was on the reserve for the first month. And then I sort of came home when they allowed us to move around in South Africa again. And I was sitting here and I'm like, guys, I'm over this. I, I don't want to do cooking anymore. I don't want to be on the reserve. It's a lonely life. I want to live now. Um, and the same time that sort of that thought came up in my mind, they also the, the reserve also sent us a message to say, look, there's voluntary retrenchments. And I just saw that as a sign. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm taking this. And then I was sitting at home for two weeks. Um, 
and my mom said, dude, you're like 40 years old almost. <laughs> you kind of need to find something to do. We're not going to pay for you. And then I started thinking back about the beauty products and all of that. And um, the, I think the biggest reason why I started Squinade was during that time that we did talk about everything on the reserve, one of the managers said to me, you dream too big. You need to be realistic, realistic in life. And I kept thinking about that words and I just thought, okay, fine. I'm going to show you what's thinking realistic and what's thinking big. And I haven't looked back one day since starting Squinate. No, it's absolutely wonderful. And I suppose, I mean, there's, a, there's not a huge dissimilarity between being a chef and bringing ingredients and bringing in flavors and bringing in textures and bringing in all of these components to the sort of soaps that you do make. Um, and because these are, these are artistic creations. They're creations of, of extraordinary number of ingredients being things to, through like prickly pear. Um, is it an oil or is it a juice? Is it a... It's a yeah, prickly pear. Oil. So yeah, it's, it's actually the oil with the most vitamin E yeah. concentration in an oil. Um, and we source it locally from Bloemfontein. There's a farm that does all of that. I use a agave syrup and aloe vera liquid in all my products as well. The agave syrup comes from a lady that makes it in New Bethesda, just around the corner from Crofinet. Um, so I try and get everything as far as possible from the guru. My oil that I use is from Prince Albert from a family farm. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's quite, it's, it's, it's kind of cool to just keep all my products within the guru the whole time, all the ingredients. And um, I love the fact that I can trace back every single item that I buy to make a soap or a lotion and, wash. and again, you guys are supporting each other. So you're creating an ecosystem of the sort of micro economy, if you like, amongst creative people in an yes. area where you're choosing to live. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough place to make a living uh, unless you've got um, sheep and that's a hard way to make a living. It's, you know, the cruise. Look, Crofinet is probably one of the best towns to ever live in. Um, so I'm told. I used to, we grew up here when I was little and I always thought it's an, an old people's town. <laughs> and living here now, again, it is probably one of the best local, like guru towns to to grow up in to start a family um, for young people. It's I call it the Franschuk of the guru. No, it's a um, glorious. It's, it's vibey. It's just, it's such a family-orientated community that is so cool. And, and as a chef, uh, also, the big advantage, I suppose, of making soap rather than food is the temptation to taste it isn't there. Um, and, and so you, oh, um, you'll keep the weight off, which is a good thing. There, I mean, every morning when I walk into the, I've got a little boutique shop as well, just downstairs from the studio where I make everything. Um, and I see the blocks of, of soap. It, it definitely looks like fudge and you're tempted <laughs> to take a bite every single time. Only has to happen once. You won't do it again. Quentin, thank you and good luck with it. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful story and thank you for sharing it with us this evening. The Formulation Connoisseur and everything officer at a company called Squenate in Grafrenet in the magnificent Karoo. All of the ingredients sourced locally and really making these beautiful concoctions like a chef would because he is. 
a chef. Brutal is quiz time on this Friday night. Now, I told you, I've given away most of the answers tonight, so it shouldn't be too much of a hardship for you to beat us. One or two little curveballs, one or two forward passes, one or two knock-ons potentially in the mix because this is a Springbok-inspired Brutal Biz quiz this evening. Uh, first question for you tonight on 011-883-0702-021-446-0567. How many times each have New Zealand and defending champion... The Springboks each won the World Cup. They've won the World Cup an equal number of times. Tomorrow will make it an extra time. Which? How many times have they each won the World Cup? New Zealand and the Springboks won equal number of World Cups since inception. How many have they won each? 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. Give us a call. Let's play the Brutal Biz Quiz this Friday night. 702. Bruce is on the money show. How many times each of the Springboks and New Zealand won the World Cup? Sam and Benoni was through first. Sam? Uh, three times. Absolutely, which makes the winner of tomorrow's game will, would have won how many games? How many times? Oh. Great, Sam, your maths is on form on a Friday night. Absolutely right. Springboks won in 1995, 2007, 2019 and 2020. No, we don't know yet. Uh, New Zealand, 87, 2011 and 2015. The winning team from the 2023 Rugby World Cup will receive how much money in dollars? It's a, I think it was like oh, 55000 dollars. No, I'm afraid not, Sam. That is the knock-on. Tabane in Joburg. Yes. How many dollars will the winning team get? Gone is Tabane. Mohammed in Pretoria... How many dollars are up for grabs? Uh, 6.2 million. Six million dollars, absolutely, Mohammed in Pretoria. Uh, I'd like to know the name of the European city reported to have been infested with bed bugs ahead of the Summer Olympics, and those bed bugs apparently still an infestation problem. Which city is that? Mm, uh, Athens. Uh, I'm afraid not. Oh. It's a World Cup themed brutal biz quiz this evening. Bernard in Pretoria. Bernard's gone. Uh, Brian in Pretoria. Which city is supposed to be infested with bed bugs? Uh, is it London? Uh, London is worried about the bed bugs coming across the channel. Remember, this is a World Cup themed brutal biz quiz. This isn't even like uh, one of the difficult ones. 011-883-0702-021-446-0567. Play the Brutal Biz Quiz with us this evening and let's see whether or not you take us or we take you. We'll be the Springboks. You'll be New Zealand. This can be the forecasting mechanism. Oh, let's not tempt fate. Let's not tempt fate. Uh, Godfrey in Midrand. Godfrey? Hello. Where are the bed bugs? Yes, yes. Paris. Paris, absolutely. Ten months before the uh, Summer Olympics, uh, we've got uh, a huge invasion of bed bugs. Dreadful things they are. You really don't want to come into contact with them. Um, what no, is, that's why I'm not going to the final. No, me too. Me too. It's not because I'm a cheapskate or I didn't plan <laughs> or I had no faith. It's just it's the bed bugs. Now, um, the name of the trophy that the winners will hoist above their heads is named after the person who supposedly invented the game. What is the name of that person and the trophy? 
Webb Ellis, and he happens to have been an Anglican priest for that matter. Yeah, exactly. The William Webb Ellis Trophy. Um, he was credited at rugby in England uh, for picking up a football and running over the try over the goal line and dotting it down. And that's the legend of rugby, William Webb Ellis. Uh, what do Kitch Christie, Jake White, and Rassia Rasman all have in common in South African rugby history? They have all uh, won the World Cup. They've all been World Cup winning coaches. Um, who is uh, battling it out for a third spot in the World Cup this evening? There are two teams. Who's playing who tonight? Uh, Argentina um, is playing uh, Ireland. No, 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 no. But I'm actually quite glad that you got it wrong, Godfrey, because I did say I was going to be the Springboks and you were going to be New Zealand, uh, and therefore you got it wrong. And I'm sorry for you because that means you're not the Wizard of the Bizquiz. Um, we beat England last week, so England go into that game, of course, against uh, against Argentina tonight. England will probably take it uh, and emerge third in what's been a very, very tightly fought con- uh, contest. Who is going to win the Rugby World Cup tomorrow? I don't know. I've got a feeling. I've got a wish. I've got a hope. I certainly, for all of our sakes, hope that we take it. I will be on the edge of my seat with you this uh, tomorrow evening uh, as we do that. But coming up in a moment or six, uh, the best bits of the money show from the week that has been. Time now for Eyewitness News in just a moment. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield was brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking, bringing you award-winning trade and working capital funding solutions to unlock the full potential of your business story. APSA is a registered FSP.